What number is this, Chip? Episode 45. The Monkey's second 45. And I have a little song here, Color Commentary. <laughs> okay, not me. Like, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I'm short. You're listening to Zilch, a monkey's podcast. familiar music you're listening to your monkeys podcast zilch i'm one of your hosts jeff hewlett today i am joined by mr craig cohen how's it going craig all right hi everyone good to have you back on the show craig always good to be had how's everything out there in vegas good good surprisingly chilly um this time of year i guess it's winter in vegas finally yeah you never think about las vegas being cold yeah yeah so uh, Ken and Sarah are out on assignment, getting up to some monkey business, no doubt. So in their absence, we're going to get ready to check out the monkey's mailbag. We've got a couple of submissions here. Craig and I are going to read them off. So uh, let's start off with you, Craig. All right. We've got a nice five-star review from Jay McDowell. Um, Headline: finally, a podcast that I actually give a darn about. So glad to find Zilch. I am having a great time going back and catching up on all the episodes. Ken and the gang certainly know their onions. I've really enjoyed the breakdown of the albums. I don't always agree with their opinions, but that is what makes the world go around. I look forward to hearing what they have in store for the future. Here's to many more episodes. That's a great one. That was a really cool one. Thank Thanks you, a lot Jay. for that, Jay. Yes, so let's see. We have another one here. Uh, this is another five-star. Uh, we're doing really good. Uh, from Sunny Girlfriend 42, the title is "It is of my opinion that the people are intending." <laughs> so a little lyrical reference there. So uh, it reads, "It is of my opinion that the people are intending to give the monkeys fans the best podcast possible." I heard on one episode how uh, being part of the monkeys fandom felt similar to being home. That could not be more true. I love the variety of topics covered in the podcast, from albums to episodes, concerts, individual works by the monkeys, conventions, books, etc. I'm so glad this podcast exists. I feel like I have researched a lot in the band at this point, but I always find something new to learn with each new episode. I love how no one attacks anyone for different opinions and rather accepts that everyone has a different reason for loving the monkeys, whether that be the songs, albums, episodes, or band members themselves. I look forward to each new episode. Keep that good work and don't forget to monkey around. Caitlin. Thank oh, you very much for that, Caitlin. Yeah. Very, very sweet. So that wraps up the mailbag and we uh thank you for your great feedback whether it is on our itunes page or facebook or twitter at zilchcast or you can even email us at zilchmonkeys at gmail.com so the last episode of zilch was tom o'keefe and the gang from the real spoilers podcast and they talked the monkeys movie head it was a lot of fun and generated some great discussions on the facebook page we had people ask if they can get the movie head without getting the Criterion BBS box set. And the answer to that question, thankfully, is yes, thankfully, uh, head will be part of the upcoming The Monkeys Complete series on Blu-ray, available for order through themonkeys.com. 
Uh, and here's the info we're going to have in our show notes, so go ahead and check it out. Here it comes. The Monkeys, the complete series is coming to Blu-ray. All 58 episodes, carefully remastered from the original 35mm prints in high definition for the very first time. 10 jam-packed discs that also include the movie Head, the 1969 TV special, 33 and a third revolutions per monkey, plus an exclusive bonus disc full of surprises. Pre-order now at monkeys.com. This set is not available anywhere else and is strictly limited to 10,000 individually numbered copies. The Monkeys, the complete series, on Blu-ray, only at monkeys.com. So today on Zilch, we're going to do the Monkeys color cast commentary for I've Got a Little Song here. But first, we're going to do the second part of the new Monkeys on 45, listen to the band series, and check that out. Listen to the band. Listen to the band, Monkeys on 45. Welcome to part two of our ongoing series, Listen to the Band, the Monkeys on 45. Today, we take a look at the Monkeys' second 45. I'm a believer backed by I'm Not Your Stepping Stone. This is the segment where members of the Zilch crew take a look at the singles released by the Monkees. So I am your host, Jeff Hewlett, and joining me on this Monkees on 45 discussion are three esteemed Zilch colleagues. Uh, you've heard their voices before. Starting immediately to my right is Melinda Gildart. Hi, guys. Hello. Moving around the table, we've also got Ghosty. Hello. Glad to be here. And finally, we've got Jeff Geringer with us. Hey, hey, everybody. How are you tonight, sir? We're doing good. Looking forward to this. All right. So we're going to move on to the second single. And that, of course, is the iconic I'm a Believer, backed by I'm Not Your Stepping Stone, released on November 21st of uh, 66 or thereabouts. I saw two conflicting dates. One was the 23rd. One was the 21st. And so you got your A-side, which is uh, Neil Diamond's I'm a Believer, uh, backed by I'm Not Your Stepping Stone. The picture sleeve cover. Uh, depicts Mickey, Mike, and Peter sitting on what looks to be some sort of a, a piece of wood or a two-by-four that is uh, on one end resting on something that we can't really see too well on the, on the uh, left side, and the other side is resting on Davy's shoulder, which seems a little bit strange, and poor Davy had to hold them up like that. But <laughs> the song uh, <laughs> hit the number one spot in the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart for the week ending December 31st. 1966 and remained there for seven weeks becoming the last number one hit of 66 and the biggest selling record for all of 1967 so uh, billboard ranked the song at, or the record as n- uh, the number five song uh, because over one million advanced orders it went to gold within two days of release and and fewer than 40 all-time singles have sold 10 million or more physical copies worldwide so pretty cool so, of course, I'm a Believer, we know, is written by Neil Diamond and produced by Jeff Barry. Uh, some session guitarists were on there. Uh, Al, uh, Al Gorgoni, who also played on uh, Brown Eyed Girl and The Sound of Silence, two incredible tunes, uh, and uh, had worked on Neil Diamond's Cherry Cherry, uh, contributed. Um, some other personnel included uh, Sal, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Detroit on guitar, 
Uh, Dick Romanoff on bass, Artie Butler on organs. Jeff Barry himself played piano and tambourine with, of course, uh, vocals again uh, from Mickey. This song appeared in the episodes Peter and the Debutante, Dance Monkey Dance, Too Many Girls, and Son of a Gypsy. So moving on to Stepping Stone, the B-Sides, a Boyce and Heart, written and produced. Uh, musicians featured on the recording, of course, Mickey on vocals again. So this is the fourth Mickey tune on a single. Tommy Boyce backing vocals, Wayne Irwin, Jerry McGee, uh, Louis Shelton on guitar, Bobby Hart playing the organ, Larry Taylor on bass, Billy Lewis on drums, and Henry Levy on percussion. So the single version does not have an edit, but it fades earlier than the version on the mono album. Uh, this song appeared in the episodes Your Friendly Neighborhood Kidnappers, The Spy Who Came In From The Cool, Monkeys a la Carte, Too Many Girls, and The Case of the Missing Monkey. So, as we did last time, we'll start off with general thoughts on this single as a whole, and uh, this time we'll start off with uh, Ghosty. Well, this, I don't think you could call it a, well, it wasn't officially a double A-sided single, but mm-hmm. it should be. Because Definitely. both of these tracks are so well-known and beloved. I'm a Believer, I don't think, is quite as good as his last train to Clarksville. But if you're going to follow it up with something, it might as well be this. A great yeah. Neil Diamond cut. Um, when we get to a little bit me, a little bit you, I'll have something else to say about that. But uh, really just a great performance. The little organ part kind of makes the song again beginning with a a killer riff for me the b-side is really the standout though Uh, boys and hearts i'm not your stepping stone which i think didn't paul revere and the raiders cut this first before the monkeys yeah 1965 yeah so maybe it would have been known uh to to listeners i wonder if kids bought that single and said oh look they're doing a paul revere and the raiders song (laughs) but the monkeys version is just classic garage rock you know it's just an an incredible sound raucous a cacophony um it's really the ultimate garage rock stomper um if i you know had i bought that single i i would have flipped it over and played i'm not your stepping stone more i i think i like that uh track a little better it's much more inventive very in similar in a way to the first single because you've got you know, this happy pop song on side A, which is great, just an excellent recording and, and production. And then something a little different, a little offbeat as your B-side. And I'm not disappointed that both of those songs appear on More of the Monkeys. I'm happy they're there. Definitely. So I, I had a little note here written in uh, in my, uh, my little page that mentioned the possibility of considering this a double A-side. And based on Stepping Stone hitting number 20, on the charts, I think you could almost uh, re- rebrand it as a double A sign, like you were saying. Yeah, Absolutely. it should be. Yeah. Jeff G., what are your thoughts on this single? Well, I like the song a little bit more than Ghosty did. Um, I think I'm a Believer is just a perfect follow-up to Clarksville. Um, Neil Diamond, who recorded the song himself, did not want to give it up. Um, Don Kirster twisted his arm and said, Listen, I will give you the next single if you let me record I'm a Believer. And in fact, Neil has said uh, in many interviews that I'm a Believer brought him his very first house. Wow. So it it shows you what the power can be. He wrote three songs uh, for the Monkees. Not only I'm a Believer, but Love to Love, which is one of those great kind of unreleased songs. Oh, yeah. And Look Out, Here Comes Tomorrow. Um, 
the song that he ended up giving the monkeys uh, in exchange for letting them record I'm a Believer, A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You, which I think both uh, Ghostly and I probably have the similar thoughts about it, but we'll get to that soon. <laughs> I want to tell you a, a cute story. When um, Mickey was used to tour with the Turtles, every summer they have an oldie show called the Happy Together Tour. And right. Mickey's done it a few times, and one year they did it with Mark Lindsay. When Mickey would come out and start doing Stepping Stone, and Lindsay would come out and wave his hands and say, hey, 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 we had the hit with this. And they <laughs> joke back and forth and then sing it as a duet. <laughs> That's pretty I cool. I thought it was a fun way to present the song to see Mickey and because you know, the Raiders had their own show with where the action is, and that's kind of what they did was just screw around and play music. Right. Very cool. The sign of how a song has reached a level of importance with the public is indicated by how often it winds up in the band's set list, or how many times other artists have covered the song. Here are just some of the artists that have covered I'm a Believer. The Four Tops. Weezer. Play, and of course the infamous Smash Mouth version. Here's Neil Diamond playing I'm a Believer live. What are your thoughts? I think I like I'm a believer a little bit more than 
uh, Jeff Geringer does, uh, which is a little bit more than <laughs> Ghosty does. Wow. Uh, <laughs> this song, you just can't deny its impact. You know, it's just such a happy song. It's universal. You know, it hit number one in just about every English speaking country, you know, <laughs> on the planet. And, um, you know, even now today, you know, if you pull it up on YouTube, it has over, you know, 55 million collective views. And, you know, that, you know, pales in comparison to Taylor Swift, you know, her blank space video is over a billion views. But mm -hmm. for a 49 year old song by a prefabricated band, I think that's pretty, you know, that that ain't bad. <laughs> that's pretty good. Good point. Uh, you know, it's fantastic. It, you know, it knocked the vibrations by the Beach Boys out of the number one spot. And, you know, it. If you look at every compilation album, it's, you know, it's going to appear there. You, you're going to find it on every album, you know, even, you know, those 60s albums, you're going to see I'm a Believer on there. Um, I didn't really care for Neil's version, so he did the right thing with giving that song <laughs> up to the Monkees because it would not have sold 10 million copies with, with him singing on it um, and, and releasing that thing. Um, but I was hoping that one of you guys would bring up the whole Shrek thing. <laughs> oh, God, no Smash Mouth, <laughs> No, we please. try to forget that. Uh, oh. I mean, it's it's undeniable. I think it introduced the song to, you know, the younger generations. And, you know, it, it's just so funny. Uh, my daughter and uh, my nephew are college age. And when they were little, they would beg me to put on that Shrek DVD and just jump right to the end, you wow. know, with all the characters singing, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer. It's, you know, it's just now they're, they're older and, they, you know, they still love it. So, it, you know, it, it's just the impact of that song is amazing. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed the collective groan when Smash Mouth was mentioned. <laughs> well, how long ago was that movie? 10, 12 years? It was a while. It was I mean, a while ago. It's right up there with David Jones saying, I have three daughters, all girls. Three. <laughs> you know, they, they had their patter, the same jokes that they do, and for whatever reason, that Smash Mouth one just, I... Oh, it's a tough yeah, one. Leonard Nimoy, Smash Mouth. Did, did Smash Mouth also do... Uh... Walking in the Sun, is that one of their hits? I think that's them. And Hey Now, You're an All-Star, Get Your Game On. Yeah, I yeah, think that's, that's them. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm thoroughly depressed now. So speaking of depression, I wonder, uh, you know, maybe you guys have a little more insight into this, but we've heard, we have four tracks now, you know, two, two A-sides, two B-sides, and Mickey's vocals are on each one of them. Do you think... The other monkeys were kind of a little bit uh, miffed that they didn't they weren't on a single yet. Well, Mike might have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because he was always jockeying for those uh B-sides. Um I, I mean, personally had I been Kirshner, had I been the powers that be, I would have had Davey in there somewhere Definitely. because he was your, you know, he was your heartthrob. He was the reason so many uh kids were tuning in. So I would have had him, you know, at least on the B side. But you can't really argue with these four songs. <laughs> I no. mean, if, if there was a weak one among them, I'd say, yeah, maybe we should have put on a Davey vocal. You know, I, we'd talked about this uh, before, a uh, previous conversation that Jeff G and, and Ken and I had. And I think we had uh, said that I Want to Be Free would have been a natural choice oh, for definitely. A, a single. But, you know, in this case... Mickey is technically your lead singer for the most part, so mm. I suppose it gives the Monkees uh, a unified sound, even though there are different musicians playing on these cuts. Uh, Mickey's voice, I guess, kind of ties it all together. Very true. 
Well, I think instead of maybe subbing out one of um, Davy's song, just, you know, put out another single and like I said, um, maybe it could have been Look Out Here Comes Tomorrow. I mean, that's that's a phenomenal song. I mm-hmm. love that song. And, you know, they could have just put out another single. Yeah, I don't see why not. In fact, I think that's a popular thing today with a lot of uh, artists. They, they'll put out four singles off the same record. Right. Right. Yeah, so why not? Uh, Jeff G., any thoughts on uh, Mickey singing all four tunes so far? Well, it's kind of funny how it's symmetrical. You know, Mickey had the first three, Clarksville, I'm a Believer, Stepping Stone, and then Davey had uh, a Little Bit Me, Valerie, and mm. Daydream Believer. So it's like Davey came into his own towards the end of the Monkees, and Mickey established the band's sound. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. Great, great way to sum it up. And what do the Monkees and Outkast have in common? This is a cool mashup of I'm a Believer and Hey Ya, as performed on X Factor by Paige Richardson. Here's Coldplay doing the song live in Melbourne. More proof that everyone loves the monkeys. Okay, okay, peeps. Now listen, for the first time ever in, certainly in our history, but maybe in the history of this building, we're going to attempt to play what looks like a set of colorful dominoes, but is in fact the world's cleverest keyboard, perhaps, if it works. Let's see if it works, okay? Okay, this is the band we always wanted to be. Check it out. Oh, shit. Okay, okay. okay, as you can see, this is the cover version, okay? Ready? I forgot how we start this, man. This will start. Okay, here we go. Oh, that's just the way it seems. I'm disappointed, Hulk. 
Peter Tork version later in the show. I'm Not Your Stepping Stone is a rock song by Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart. It was first recorded by Paul Revere and the Raiders and appeared on their album Midnight Ride, released in May of 1966. It is best known as a hit for the Monkees, US number 20, released in November 1966, making it the first B-side to chart. Musicians featured on this recording are Mickey Dolan in the lead vocal, Tommy Boyce on backing vocal, Wayne Irwin, Jerry McGee, and Louis Shelton on guitar. Bobby Hart on organ, Larry Taylor on bass, Billy Lewis on drums, and Harry Levy on percussion. It went on to become a punk anthem. Here's Paul Revere and the Raiders doing I'm Not Your Stepping Stone from their album Midnight Ride from May of 1966. tricks that you used on me you're reading all them high fashion magazines the clothes you're wearing lately causing public scenes i said i'm not 
a stepping stone. No! No, I'm not a stepping stone. Not a stepping stone. The song has been covered by many artists. Most notable are Punk Axe, The Sex Pistols. minor threat and the pivots I'm not just stepping 
Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers have performed a song in their live set over the years. So anybody have any final thoughts on I'm a Believer backed by I'm Not Your Stepping Stone before we move on? Continually played in concert. Has there been a monkey show without those songs? Uh, I'm a Believer was played at every uh, 1960s monkeys tour. So that's for sure. Uh, Stepping Stone. And they show um, Stepping Stone on Monkeys on Tour, the episode. Yep. Yep. So they were both popular concert staples. Uh, back in the day, just like Clarksville was, so uh, I think I think maybe I'm a believer is is just as iconic in the Monkees canon as Clarksville is. Yeah, yeah, I think that those are the two. Well, until you get to things like Pleasant Valley Sunday, but uh, I think those two still are the the big big pop hits. So, well, all I right. think hearing Stepping Stone, you know, from the album, you know, with the session players, and then hearing it from the live, you know, the live albums with the guys actually playing it where you get just the rawest, you know, just, yeah. you know, the most, you know, bare bones sound. And it still sounds kick-ass, you know, for them to be playing it. Um, and I prefer those versions with them playing it live, even though, you know, the album version, it, you know, just blasts out of your speakers. But, hey, I love those live versions, you know, with them with them playing. I, I have to, yeah, I agree. I, I like that they slip in a little bit of Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix in yeah. the opening of <laughs> that was so I'm Not cool. Your Stepping Stone. Very yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd like to do a song for you now that uh, was one of our singles, uh, as opposed to one of our triples. Okay, everybody. Clap your hands, come on. Stamp your feet too, come on.
I, we, we heard uh, last year when we saw uh, Peter Tork here in New Jersey, he did uh, Step in Stone as well. So it was really cool. And he's really, really into it. So <laughs> it's really cool. And the song still holds up to this day. It sounds great. <laughs> We're almost there. So I guess that brings this episode of Monkeys on 45 to a close. It has been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to the three of you. And uh, so uh, I look forward to our next episode. So, uh, Ghosty, thank you. I'm here all week. Thank you. Uh, try the veal. Don't forget try to tip your waiters and waitresses. Melinda, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. And Jeff G., thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jeff H. You did a great job. You're a great leader. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. And we'll talk to you guys again soon. And we leave this segment with Peter Tork doing his own version of I'm a Believer. This is a song that you you might know if you're if you're about as old as probably as old as your grandmother, really. But uh, this is an old song. I'm going to do it a little bit different. I was thinking about this earlier. Well, I thought love was only true in fairy tales Meant for someone else, but not for me Love was out to get me That's the way it seemed Disappointment haunted all my dreams Then I saw her face Now I'm a believer Not a trace Of doubt in my mind I'm in love I'm a believer I couldn't leave her if I tried given thing Seems the more I gave the less I got What's the use in trying All you get is pain When I needed sunshine I got rain Then I saw her face Now I'm a believer Not a trace the old songs that get them every time. Hi, this is Coco Dolan, and you're listening to Zilch, a monkey's podcast.
Hello, Zilch listeners. This is Jody Blau Ritson from Monkeys Convention 2016. As the holidays are upon us, before you know it, so will be Monkey Jam, June 4th and 5th, 2016, in Secaucus, New Jersey. I would like to offer all of the podcast listeners on Zilch a $20 off coupon code so that you will be able to join us for a Monkey Jam as well. If you go on to monkeysconvention2016.com, you can order your Monkey Jam tickets. The weekend pass coupon code is none other than ZILCH. That's ZILCH. One is good per customer, so take advantage until December 31st. Very proud to say that we are partnering up with A Heart for Zach, a beautiful charity where we are going to donate a portion of all proceeds from the web store to help this wonderful little boy. For more information on Monkey Jam, A Heart for Zach, keep checking in to www.monkeysconvention2016.com and have a very, very wonderful new year. Hey, this is Bobby Hart, and you're listening to Zilch on Monkey's Podcast. From 7A Records, the team based in the United Kingdom that brought you Mickey Dolenz, the MGM Singles Collection, it's our newest release. For the first time ever on CD, that's an abbreviation for compact disc, the first Bobby Hart solo album comes complete with 24-page booklet, unseen photographs, three previously unreleased tracks, all the songs are remastered from the original tapes, there's more stuff in there. Hang on a second. What? There's what? Oh, yeah. And there's an exclusive interview with legendary songwriter Bobby Hart. The first Bobby Hart solo album making its world debut on CD exclusively from 7arecords.com. Available at Amazon.com. Also, get Mickey Dolan's The Singles Collection. Also from 7A Records. And now, time to turn on the TV and check out the Monkees Color Class. Let me find the remote. Ah, here we go. All right. Hey, wait a minute, guys. You know what? It's 7.36.30 Central Time. It's time for the Monkees. I wonder if anybody around here has got a television set. Hi, friends. Ralph Williams, one of the world's largest... Baloney, perhaps not. Holy cliffhangers, Batman. The Monkees, brought to you by Kellogg. Tonight's Monkees Color Cast commentary is brought to you by Mr. Zero's Pawn Shop. When in L.A., stop and visit Mr. Zero's Pawn Shop. Our prices are so low you can get deals for a song or your soul. That's Mr. Zero's Pawn Shop. We'll be waiting for you. Hello and welcome back to the Monkey's Color Cast Commentary. I'm Craig Cohen and as always I have with me Monkey Magic author Melanie Mitchell. Hello. And Jeff Hewlett. Hey everybody, what's up? Much and guys, I know that this show, um, you know, it publishes and people listen to it, and they don't really get an idea of what goes on behind the scenes here. But it's been a really long time since the three of us have sat down and done a, a color cast commentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
And I yeah. missed you guys. Yeah, it's it's good to be uh, back chatting with you, and I'm I'm looking forward to jumping into the episode. But before we get into this episode, which is going to be, I've got a little song here. Melanie, do you want to give us some updates from our last commentary track? Sure. Um, first, I have to confess that I utterly failed at the one question I was asked, which was, who was that woman who walked onto the set when the um, when Mickey said the director thought there should be a pretty girl in the show? Mm. I still don't have any idea who she is. All of the usual resources I check, I mean, she was an extra. She wasn't credited. I don't know who she was. So my apologies on that point. Oh, maybe eventually we'll figure that out. <laughs> I will follow up on a couple of other things, though. One of our Facebook group members, uh, Randall Bowie, said uh, a little bit more about Mousy Garner. He's the one who played Benny the Book. Okay. Um, a famous vaudevillian named Ted Healy assembled a group later known as the Three Stooges. When the Stooges left him to go solo, Healy got three other guys to be his Stooges. Mousy was one of those guys. Later in the 70s, after Larry Fine had a stroke... Curly Joe Dorita wanted to assemble a new Three Stooges, and he hired Mousy to play Larry's part. The group went nowhere. So, in addition to the new monkeys, we also have the new Three Stooges, and Mousy <laughs> Garner was one of them. Wow. Also, we put to the uh, Facebook group the questions um, about uh, the question about that tray that uh, Peter was carrying. Um, the majority of our listeners uh, voted that it was actually a lightweight prop that Peter was pretending was heavy. And also, Richard Lane Gregg uh, voted it was a special effect. He wasn't actually carrying anything. <laughs> so, for what that's worth. Yes. Finally, uh, also put to a vote on the Facebook group by a very large margin, more than double, or more than everybody else combined, uh, people agreed that Peter had the best mustache. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and there's finally one thing, I'm going to go all the way back to episode two, Monkey See, Monkey Die. Um, Facebook group member Rebecca Prepke, she posted photos of her grandfather's in-home recording kit. Right. Remember cool. that? disc that they had the will recorded on and we talked about whether that would be possible back in the 60s well her grandfather actually had one of those home recording devices that would make a, rec a disc that could be played back um, it was manufactured by the Wilcox Gay Company in the 1950s and it played back at 78 RPM that is awesome, and I, I really enjoy this um, sort of follow-up that we get after every every commentary that we do because uh, it does answer a lot of the questions that we bring up on uh, you know as we're talking through it. So it's very cool, and I love the the interactive nature of it because we're able to really you know go back and forth with the the great community we have here. The conversation about Rebecca's grandfather's recording device was absolutely fascinating. Yeah, yeah, very very neat. All right, so do we want to move on to this episode? Sure. All right. Um, and Melanie, do you want to uh, talk a little bit about the people behind the scenes? Sure. They're both people we've heard from before. The writer is Treva Silverman, who also wrote Monkey See, Monkey Die. And she actually uh, wrote or co-wrote six episodes of The Monkeys altogether. She was the only female member of The Monkeys writing staff. And she would go on to be a writer for The Mary Tyler Moore Show, for which she won two Emmy Awards. Our director is Bruce Kessler. And we last saw Bruce at the helm of The Chaperone just a couple of episodes ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and Jeff, I know you're very excited to talk about Phil Leeds, who plays Bernie Class. Yeah, thanks, Craig. So Phil Leeds was born on April 6th of 1916 in New York City. 
actually wound up starting off his career as a stand-up comic. And I think he went on to become the quintessential character actor. I mean, he appeared in so, so many shows and so many of my favorite, favorite TV shows, including All in the Family, Three's Company, Night Court, uh, The Gary Shandling Show, The Larry Sanders Show, oh, Barney Miller, God, The Odd Couple, Dick Van Dyke. Oh, and, and The Golden Girls, big Golden Girls fan here. And, uh, you know, I think he always delivered on the laughs on any of those shows that he appeared on. And this particular Monkeys episode, I think he really, really shines in this Bernie character. This really embodies what I think makes him such a special comedic actor. Thank you for that, Jeff. And Melanie, I know we wanted to uh, make note of a notable appearance here, um, and it's the postman played by Bobby Johnson. Do you want to mention why that's notable? Well, I think it's notable because this is only the second African-American character to have a speaking role on the show. There aren't very many, and it's been a while. Mm -hmm. the, the previous one was the police detective way back in Monkey See, Monkey Die. Right. Um, Bobby Johnson was born in, I think, 1910. Yeah, and he had, his career, career dates back all the way to 1937. Mm -hmm. And he had appearances on the Amos and Andy show, the Jack Benny program, Hazel, Sanford and Son, and Amazing. Jefferson's. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. We, I guess we can also talk about the director and the producer within the episode. We have uh, the director played by Larry Gelman, who um, was born in 1930, and he is best known for playing Dr. Uh, Bernie Tupperman on the U.S. TV series The Bob Newhart Show, and Vinny, the poker-playing friend of Oscar and Felix in The Odd Couple. He was also on uh, the TV series Maud and uh, was also made appearances on Eight Is Enough. And he was also a regular member of the cast of a situation comedy I'm not familiar with from 1973 called Needles and Pins, which ran for 14 episodes. Mm -hmm. Larry Gelman, if, if you think to the uh, scenes that are shot at Mammoth Studios, he's the director. He's the one who's wearing a plaid cap and a sweater. The producer, played by Erwin Sharon, is wearing a suit and smoking a cigar. So that's how you tell them apart. Right. <laughs> uh, Larry Gelman also appeared in two other Monkeys episodes. Yes. In the, in the episode Captain Crocodile, he played the stage manager. And in the Christmas show, he was the owner of the, or the manager of the uh, toy store. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we have one other notable character in this episode that we want to talk about. And do you want to uh, talk about Lee Chapman, Melanie? I do. Um, Lee Chapman is the woman who played Joni Jans, the starlet, who supposedly is going to be singing uh, Mike's song. Uh, Lee Chapman, when I went to her IMDb page expecting to see a long list of, of, of TV shows and movies that she acted in, instead I found a long list of TV shows and movies that she wrote. Uh, she was primarily a screenwriter um, and almost exclusively a screenwriter of action-adventure, either episodes of TV shows or films. Um, she wrote for Mission Impossible, The Wild Wild West, It Takes a Thief, Mod Squad, Walker, Texas Ranger. And she also wrote a movie that, Craig, you said you had heard of, but I'd never heard of. What was it called? Yeah, 1974's Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, um, which stars uh, Peter Fonda. When I read a, a biography of her, uh, she talked about the fact that she never had any interest in writing comedies or, or um, romances or chick flicks. She only wanted to write action adventure. It's the only thing she, she enjoyed doing. 
um, that and a little bit of acting and some underwater photography. She was a fascinating woman. Yeah, definitely a very interesting career and a, a pioneer of sorts. So uh, is there anything else we want to mention, gang, before we get into uh, the thick of it? Uh, real quick, um, I skipped the other uh, actor who appeared in multiple Monkeys episodes, and that's the producer. Erwin Sharon also played the corrupt incumbent mayor of the city where the Monkeys live in the episode Monkey Mayor. Yes. So, Craig, I want to mention one quick thing, too, before we get started. And full disclosure here for the audience, this is tied for my favorite Monkeys television show episode of all time. Ooh. And- well chosen. <laughs> and we right. haven't hit your other favorite yet, huh? No, and I'm not going to reveal that because I just want to leave that as a mystery until we actually get there. <laughs> all right, excellent. So the suspense will slowly eat away at me until we get there. All right, so we're going to be a while. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start our scene specific commentary for I've got a little song here in 3 2 1. Okay, we open up on the money is the root of all evil sign, so we have foreshadowing right from the very beginning. That's the focus of this episode. Yes. And in a moment, Peter's going to cheat <laughs> at checkers. There he goes, and he's going to do it twice. Watch his the next time we see him on the checkerboard, he's going to cheat again. Yeah, I so. love the foreshadowing in this episode. That, that's a brilliant, brilliant start. The director made a great choice in having a tight shot of the money again. is the root of all evil sign. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you notice that the monkeys have their own logo framed on the wall behind Peter? Oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, yeah, that's the red one that used to hang on the on the drum, and the blue one is next to the door in this episode. And you notice behind Mike there's a fire extinguisher that with a sign that says, in case of fire, run. Run, yeah. <laughs> that's Great one comment. thing that I think when the series comes out on Blu-ray, um, we're going to get a lot of great little details that we've probably missed over the years. Yeah, definitely. So continuing with the foreshadowing, Peter is being offered a, a one of these sign-up-for-our-get-strong programs. And it turns out that they owe six cents on the letter, so they've already been ripped off by Bernie Class. But yeah. well, this vaudevillian uh, kind of a riff on Mike's potential song that he's going to be selling yeah. is classic, classic monkeys. You've got, you've got the two... Uh, you know, classic uh, over actors here mm-hmm. doing this. You got Davey playing piano and Mickey with the cane. And, and, watch and I, the love, I love how Davey flies off the end of the bench here at the end. Mm-hmm. Great <laughs> moment. Fantastic. Yeah, they really did a great job physically with the tossing around of the cane and all that. And then when the sequence is over, they're sitting right where they were sitting before they had that sequence. Exactly. And there's the yeah. monkey's logo again in blue by the door. Yep. So they have their own logo in at least two places in the apartment. Yeah. Hey, a lot of times, Jeff, success starts with confidence. It always does, Craig. <laughs> it always does. I think of this episode as being a turning point for the series. I agree. Uh, we're, we're past the first um, 11 episodes. We're about a third of the way through the first season. And they're really getting into a, a run of really strong episodes. I think they were just hitting their stride. Still filmed before the series went on the air. This is the beginning of August. But they're really very comfortable with each other. And they're, it's just a great story, very well acted. I completely agree. And I think this episode, more than any prior episode, really illustrates the strong friendship between those four characters. And I, I'll get a little more into that 
as the episode progresses. So uh, mm-hmm. you know, we just got through the credit sequence. So I don't want to throw all my cards on the table yet as to why this is one of my favorite monkeys episodes. But uh, as we get through, I'll throw little pieces in there. Okay. Watch the the name on the door when they show it. It's the different kind of businesses that high class music is into. <laughs> yes. Now, and Melly, I know you mentioned this in your book, but the 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 idea about who the songwriter was uh, on certain songs for the monkeys and um i guess after we look at the uh, the door gag here um here we go greeting yes. cards storm windows reconditioned vacuum cleaners magazine subscriptions and door lettering service I and several that. of those are still scams today in 2015 <laughs> <laughs> beautiful payoff there um but we're, we're talking about the songwriting because here is mike uh, coming in with a song um I want to uh, buy me a dog, which was not written by Mike Nesmith. And they performed other songs throughout the series. So who are we supposed to imagine was writing all of the songs prior to this episode? Exactly. Since the monkeys revealed that they didn't know Mike was writing songs, that means by definition, Mike could not have written Papa Jean's Blues. Yes. (laughs) Or The Kind of Girl I Could Love. (laughs) Um, Or Sweet Young Thing. Um, so all those songs that we thought Mike wrote, the fictional Mike didn't write. On the other hand, he did write, I'm going to buy me a dog, which (laughs) of course Nesmith didn't. So, and if I'm not mistaken, Melanie, this is the only appearance of the actual song going to buy me a dog in the entire series with the exception of an instrumental backing track version that appeared very far later in the second series in second season, right? Yeah, in Monkeys Blow Their Minds, they used part of the instrumental from the song and some clips from the Puppy's Romp. Yes. But yeah, this is the only time it appears in full in the show. Mm. I love this. This is a great scene. Very The comic timing in this scene is, is really terrific, and I do love the, uh, the whole take on what Nesmith's name is and <laughs> all the different ways the class gets it wrong. And it, 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 it proceeds throughout the entire episode. And I think this is a fantastic scene for Phil Leeds. And this really illustrates why I love uh, his appearances in so many of the other shows that I mentioned earlier. That he's just an incredible, incredible uh, comic character actor. Mm-hmm. And he's here he's convincing Mike that he's going to sell his song. And he, he does such a good job that Mike runs out of the office and immediately goes to a payphone, which really don't exist anymore <laughs> at the time <laughs> that we're recording this, and begins to call everybody, uh, starting with the monkeys. And I wonder if you slow this down or or go frame by frame, if you could look at the number that Mike is dialing and figure out the number for the monkey's house. Oh, Actually, I didn't slow it down or try to look at the number, but I can tell you from my book, I counted the number of numbers that he dialed, and the first number, I think, was eight yes. digits, the second number was seven digits, and the third number was only six digits. <laughs> yeah, I guess we can't get the number then, but hey, it was, you can't blame me for wondering. <laughs> it is pretty random. But this is the again. He's speeding up and talking so fast. He really does this well. I don't know if it was all done in one take, but even if it took multiple takes, he just did such a fantastic job. There's the um, sheet music for "I'm Gonna Buy Me a Dog." Um, now, I've is that really this. the sheet music? If you pa- if you <laughs> screenshotted this, could you actually play the notes on that? Uh, there is a screenshot of it on the Sunshine Factory website. And it appears to be a bass line. There's just one ah. line of notes with no lyrics. But handwritten at the top of the page is the title, I'm Gonna Buy Me a Dog, which is not the title. The title is 
of the real song that Boyce and Hart wrote is just Gonna Buy Me a Dog. And it says, I'm going to buy me a dog by Michael Nesmith, dedicated to my mother. Oh. <laughs> you know, I absolutely adore the fake out beginning of this montage. You know, you see the monkeys driving around in the GTO and you think, all right, this is going to be a generic montage. But no, it's yes. not. It it becomes a dog centric montage. So unreal. This is fantastic. I love the fact that they went so far as to record a montage just for this episode. It is such a wonderful romp in the park. And this, Beautiful. by the way, is the pocket-sized park on the Columbia Ranch. There's the fountains from the uh, episode f- from the TV show Friends. Oh. Oh, wow. That is the same fountain in the nice. opening uh, sequence of Friends. And they're just, you know, goofing around in that little park. Uh, this is probably the best view we get of the park in the entire series. And you got you got puppies and medium dogs and full grown dogs doing all kinds of tricks and and stunts in this it, it, and the monkeys. This really endears me to them as you can look at like I love Mike picking up that puppy. Mm-hmm. It's such a cute scene and Peter like laying with the dogs and petting them. You yeah. just get the impression that they really are having a good time with these dogs. Now yeah. is this the first instance on the show that we've run into where the song um, is an integral part of the episode? Hmm. Interesting, yeah. Because very clearly all those false starts and missed entrances line up with the idea that Mickey is sitting there trying to sight-read this song for the very first time, Mm -hmm. holding the sheet music in his hand. By the way, take a look. There's nobody driving that car. (laughs) Nice. The idea is that there's a – you'll see it again. There it is. There it is. The The dog was driving. driving The The dog was driving. (laughs) You know, the only thing that throws me off – on this montage is the uh, the the parts of the track where Mickey is waiting for cues from the producer mm-hmm. to do different parts of the track. It's like I mean, you took the the studio track and superimposed it over that montage, and if if it was kind of an improv sort of thing and it and it didn't wait for specific studio cues, it might have worked a little bit better. Uh, not that I'm saying anything bad about it. I really love that part, but uh, it, that kind of took me a little bit out of it. I think just the fact that it does seem like he's trying to sing the song for the very first time, which matches up with the scene Mm. we saw before they went to the park, um, works for me very much. And incidentally, the song was recorded first. I can buy Um, into that. Yeah. I love this this phony call scene. (laughs) If only Mike had insisted on talking to Joni Jans himself. (laughs) Do you recognize the set? Is that the Honeymooners? No, that's, um, that's the monkey's bedroom. Oh, it looks just like the Honeymooners set to you me. You see the, the slanted ceiling and the gray walls? Oh, yeah. I can see yeah. Ralph and Alice there, though, too. <laughs> well, they may have borrowed some of the the settings, like the refrigerator and the, the table, but the, the those gray walls, that's the bedroom. I love that gag where the wife is is, is telling another guy she's been messing around with <laughs> not to call her there. Yes, great title. <laughs> right. Good gag. A lot of great gags in the show. That's, you know, I'll reveal that now that that while while, the reason why this is one of my favorite monkeys episodes is that it mixes the humor uh, and the the emotion together. And I love the fact that um, the the three guys come together to help Mike out in his time of need. And his you know, he's his hopes have been (laughs) dashed. His dreams have been dashed. And you got the monkey men in their debut on the series. You know, Hear going no to evil, help see no evil, speak no evil. It's spectacular. <laughs> and I love the way that uh, Davy flies. Yeah. yeah. And poor Peter can't fly. <laughs> Until the end of the episode, that is. 
Yeah, I wonder whether Treva Silverman came up with Monkey Men as she wrote the episode or whether that was always part of the plan and that she was just the first person to utilize the concept in one of her episodes. I love the nod to Superman here as Peter walks into the telephone booth to change back into his normal self but comes out with glasses on as if he was Clark Kent. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love that. And did you notice there's another fire axe on the wall? So earlier we saw Mike sitting in front of a hose and an axe, and as they walk out of the the booth, the the phone booth there, there's another axe on the wall. Mm-hmm. Is that the same one? No. It, well, it looks like the same axe, but just in a different position. The the oh. axe over Mike was was vertical, and this was more horizontal. Okay. Yeah, I wonder what the deal is. And I love that they're playing uh, piano tuners, and there's three of them: one for the white keys, one for the black keys, and one for the middle. Right. One for the cracks. One for the cracks. Yeah. <laughs> Spectacular. And here's the Joni Jans we've been hearing about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Typical bombshell. Uh-huh. Just yeah. trying to imagine her sitting at her typewriter banging out a script for Mission Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> and I love this, the fact that he's dictating pretty much, he's pretty much, uh, Bernie's pretty much dictating uh, his own expose in front of the piano tuners. He wouldn't do this while he was by himself. <laughs> well, it was a good disguise that they picked. Yeah, and now, well, now we—it's been revealed that Bernie is in fact a sham, and uh, Mickey, Peter, and Mike—sorry, uh, Mickey, Mike, and and Davy—or wow, Mickey, Peter, and Davy—now <laughs> they know the truth, <laughs> and I don't know how to talk. <laughs> I gotta say that Mike um, Nesmith in this episode does a great job acting but i think he's a touch out of character um really i realize that he's excited and starstruck and all that but sometimes there's just a little bit too much of that wide-eyed slack-jawed golly gee whiz this is you know such an honor kind of thing which just doesn't strike me as very mike-ish yeah i would agree Um, with you there melanie he does seem a little rubish at points yeah like when he was making all those phone calls i mean i know know he's excited but it just seemed a little out of character for mm-hmm. me um yeah yeah i i, I love the fact that necessary. Joni jans i'm oh, sorry i love the fact that Joni jans is the stereotypical starlet who doesn't know you know anything about what mike is saying and assumes he's there for an autograph and uh you know then when he attempts to pursue you know his, his angle further she assumes that it's somebody that she's messed around with in the past and says that they were just friends. Yeah. I also you know, love she's the fact. She's very nice to him. Yeah. Yes. I also love the fact that the autograph is uh, just—it's um, so transparent. It's just a stamp. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and so fast too. Yeah. I love that they went so far she's as to have a headshot of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they uh-huh. had a headshot of her there. So th- this scene here is what really makes the episode. For me, I, I remember when I was young and I, I was a Monkees fan in the 80s when the resurgence happened. And I remember reacting really, really strongly to this sequence here and seeing the three guys who are really empathetic towards Mike, who's just been completely gutted by the fact that he's been ripped off. And each one of them doesn't give up on him. Yeah. And they all go in in turn and attempt to cheer him up. And help him. I this mm-hmm. I remember getting kind of misty eyed as a kid, and I still kind of get a little misty eyed watching this scene as Mike's pretending to wind his wind his watch, as the other I, guys come in and all in turn and try to help him out. I love this. 
I wonder whether he's thinking about pawning the watch to get the guitar back. That's mm-hmm. a good point. Yeah, because he made the remark earlier that he had pawned his guitar just to make enough money. Mm-hmm. And that puts the whole band in jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is so great. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and all the guys are so convincing uh, during this. And, and you know, Mickey comes in, does his Cagney impression, trying to cheer Mike up. I think it's so funny that he refers to him as the inimitable James Cagney. Yeah. The word, yeah. The word inimitable meaning incapable of being imitated. <laughs> Although he's pulling it off quite well. That's one of his best impressions. Right. And then what is the Jimmy Stewart doing Cagney? And <laughs> does a little dance at the end with the exact yeah. same impression. Yeah. And, and I think Peter comes in and does this really, really sincere. It, it, Talking about Mike's posture thing, his mother found it says Mike has the best posture of anybody. Mm-hmm. That's, just, I, that's just and and that has the best imp- impact on Mike. Yeah, it's the one thing that cheers him up. Yeah, I absolutely adore this scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. Mm-hmm. It's very well acted by all four of them. Yeah. And then we dial up the excitement. <laughs> I love that high roll. <laughs> no, seriously, Mike, we're going to take care of this. <laughs> And I love how Mickey putting the 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 handkerchief over the uh, the receiver on the phone is enough to disguise his voice, yeah, and make it seem like he's the real MD. Yeah, Bernie pulls out a comb. Yeah, combs his hair on the phone. And and this is a true sort of um, example of really when you're doing something or or you're somewhere you're not supposed to be, just acting like you you belong there um, goes a long way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Speaking of which, they're parking in, um, I think it's, God, whose parking space is it? Dean Martin's? Yeah. Hmm. DM, which is well, a reverse would... of MD. Yep. Yeah, Dean Martin's reserved parking space. Yeah. And I love the, <laughs> the way they get by the security guard fo- uh, faking that they have a, f- that MD has a phone call coming in and right. therefore the security guard can't tie up the line. Right. Brilliant. And they're brilliant. all perfectly in tune with each other they're all pulling off their roles including peter who usually can be counted on to screw up but in this case they're all right on their marks with every line and with every gesture and with every action to pull this scam off it's really very well done and and i i always get the feeling when i watch this that this is kind of a jab at the the hollywood process Mm-hmm. I think they do this very, very well, where Mickey is this big mogul and everybody kisses up to him, even though they don't know who he is, just because he has this mythos surrounding him. He's got two servants around him, two servants, uh, one who's constantly uh, taking notes and one who's dusting him off so that, <laughs> that he always looks pristine. And, and everybody just buys into it. Yeah, the people in the background of the scene are the monkey's uh, stand-ins. Oh, nice. uh, Valerie Carries is there, David Pearl, David Price, and Rick Klein. They're all in the background of that scene playing uh, crew members. And you notice how Mickey won't walk under the ladder? He stops them and walks <laughs> around the ladder. It's such a subtle cue, but it's so great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So they're walking onto a movie set here, and Davey is still dusting Mickey off. <laughs> He's been doing it the whole time. And yeah. enter Bernie, who, who says MD as if he's met him before. Right? He knows the type. And you know, look, they're painting it red. Mickey said, I don't like it painted red. And they started painting it red. <laughs> the true Hollywood mogul. And a cigar that he's not actually smoking. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So I love the resolution of this where they, they dupe Bernie uh, into signing over the rights and giving Mike 100 bucks so that Mike actually kind of makes out on the deal. Yeah. Yeah, except, Melanie, you did point out in your book, um, which I've seen happen in movies before, too, um, they never factor in the fact that when you pawn something, you have to pay interest on it. Right, yeah. Uh, my friend Janet pointed this out to me, that um, that he got $200 for the song, $100 for himself, $100 for the old man who also got ripped off, but that didn't uh, cover the interest on the pawned guitar, so they actually ended up losing a little money on the deal but they're such good guys but you know you think about it he only pawned it maybe a day ago so the interest may not have been that great so let's let's keep our fingers crossed that they didn't lose too much (laughs) maybe a dime or a quarter uh well and mickey almost (laughs) chokes on the cigar (laughs) it's like put the damn thing down mickey (laughs) so i love this payoff where they're all just winking and nodding and smirking at each other it's yeah, so much they, fun watching them succeed i love that they, they did such a number on the villain and he buys into it so hard that he's so willing to sign this thing over he's so excited about you know making whatever money he's going to make on this and i love that they reuse the gag of being slightly short and you can owe me You're a nice guy, right? You can owe me. Yeah, I, I adore right. that. Such a great joke that comes back around mm-hmm. here at the end. So we get a little celebration. Everyone's very happy this was all resolved. <laughs> yeah, and I love how uh, that Mickey just hands the contract off to Peter and Peter pretends mm-hmm. to read it. <laughs> and they wave goodbye to Bernie as he goes off to do promotional work. So... You know, I, 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 I love the fact that this Mary Mary montage, the fact that it's the first appearance of Mary Mary, but I love that it's so specific to the episode that they were on a movie set and now in this montage, they're running around on a soundstage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've wondered whether this was intended to be the fictional monkeys running around on the Mammoth Studios soundstage where Joni Jans is making a movie. Or if this is supposed to be the real-life monkeys running around on their own soundstage. More than I likely. I kind of prefer the latter interpretation. They're wearing different costumes, for one thing. Um, and I do like that that sense of, you know, it's almost like an after-episode interview. Getting to know them a little better by watching them run around and have fun. Exactly. And I think this this is one of those situations in the show that really endears the audience to the monkeys because you're seeing them running around unscripted, having a lot of fun and people could relate to that. Mm-hmm. You know, the young kids that were supposed to be the audience of the show are watching these guys goofing around and having a good time and saying, you know, this is the kind of stuff that I'd love to do with my own friends or maybe some of this they did with their own friends. Yeah. It's like having, your, like having their own big playhouse. Yeah. Yeah, and I love that Mike is on, on on the ground with the spotlight, trying to spotlight the other guys who are running around in the rafters mm-hmm. as they're just having a hell of a good time. And, you know, could you imagine the the insurance nightmare that would happen <laughs> yeah. today if the, you had actors, major actors in a show, climbing down a ladder from, uh, you know, a, a catwalk backwards mm-hmm. with no hold safety that, equipment whatsoever? Yeah, hold that thought. Um, this is, of course, the dramatic ending. They grab a prop gun, and Peter pretends to die. 
Um, incidentally, the summer of 67, they ran this same episode with For Pete's Sake in this wow. spot. The only time For Pete's Sake appeared in the episode and not just as the closing credits. Hmm. And hmm. on Saturday mornings, they used a steam engine. Oh, very cool. Very cool. And then we get one more tag scene. Yeah, you know, this. I think this ending scene is very, very significant because I remember early on when we started doing these color cast commentaries, we talked about how the monkeys were, you know, portrayed as miscreants or ne'er-do-wells. And I think this scene really makes them out to be great guys. You know, here's Mike giving a hundred bucks to this poor old guy who he knows got ripped off. And, you know, the other guys are there supporting him doing it. This is kind of almost a turnaround of how the characters were originally defined very, very early on in the series. Mm-hmm. Although there's been, a, I think, the, the miscreants, you know, being somewhat naughty was a rare thing that happened in the pilot and in success story, I think. But no, I agree, but this is such a juxtaposition. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, 100 bucks back in the in the time when this show was on TV was a huge mm-hmm. amount of money. So, I mean, yeah. this really puts them in a great light. Yeah, they didn't have to give it to the old man. They could have kept it as a profit, and they didn't. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All and right. Peter finally figured out how to fly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so as we uh, watch the uh, the end credits here, I guess it's time to vote for our M- uh, MVM, our most valuable monkey. And um, I guess, Jeff, do you want to start things off? Wow, this is a really, really hard one for me. And, uh, you know, I I don't really know how to go with this. I I may have to defer to somebody else. And, uh, wow, I I don't think anybody particularly stands out as the strongest character in this because I think, you know, Mickey, Davey, and Peter are all pretty equal uh, in this as they all really stepped up to help Mike get out of his jam. So, I'm not sure where to go with this. All right. Well, I will jump in here and say that I am going to give my most valuable monkey vote to Mickey just for the <laughs> um, the whole uh, MD uh, sequence towards the end of the episode. For me, um, he's he's doing enough there to really um, make you know get my vote. Melanie, my vote goes to Mickey as well for for MD and also for that. Uh, his half of that sequence at the very beginning when they were doing the vaudeville Tin Pan Alley songwriters thing with tossing the cane around and stuff like that. I realized Davey was half of that too, but, you know, Mickey's so deeply into the whole MD uh, make-believe that I, I give it to him. I was tempted to give it to Mike, but because he's just a touch out of character, a little bit too sweet and goofy and, and you know, almost playing a Peter role, uh, it goes to Mickey instead. All right, all right. And, all right. Uh, well, Jeff? Mickey wins then. Oh. So, you know, that's a great point, the MD character. So looking at the entire episode as a whole, I don't know if anybody else, uh, if, if Peter or Davey could have pulled off that MD character. And the MD character is really what sells the whole concept of Bernie and gets him to sign the contract and get give Mike the 200 bucks. So that's a really good point. So I, I will also side with the two of you guys and, and pick Mickey. All right, excellent. And don't forget that you can cast your vote for your most valuable monkey for this episode and every previous episode that we've done over on the, the Facebook group. So uh, if you haven't voted um, for a past episode yet, 
make sure you go and do that and make sure you vote for this episode as well. So, Craig, yes. Craig can I just follow up briefly on something I said I was going to do at the very end? Sure. Um, during the Mary Mary uh, sequence where they're running through the catwalks, there just wasn't time to tell the story while that scene was going on. Um, in uh, Davies' autobiography, he described a game that the four of them played on the set with James Frawley and some of the other members of the crew. Um, he, d he called the game Killer. Um, I'm not sure if that's what everyone called it, but that's what he called it. And basically the rules of the game were that no matter what you were doing, if somebody pointed a finger at you pretending it was a gun and made a bang or gun sounding noise, then under the rules of this game, you had to act out a spectacular death scene. No matter what you were doing or who you were talking to, it could happen even while you were filming. Um, he describes some pretty spectacular moments, like uh, when Mickey was walking down a flight of stairs in Australia and somebody shot him and he ended up tumbling all the way down the flight of stairs uh, in his effort to uh, play that game. So I think that what we were seeing in the catwalks was a little bit of that game of killer. Right. Uh, clearly they were doing it for the cameras, but at the end when when Mike shoots the prop gun at Peter and he's up in the catwalks doing his spectacular death scene. I think we're seeing a tiny bit of that, of the, how that game was played. And a better example is from the movie Head, when uh, Mickey, when they're in the foxhole and Mickey pretends to get shot. Right. Now, that's a little bit of what they were doing behind the scenes all the time and we never got to see. Yeah, and, and uh, also Davey's book has recently been reissued in, uh, in an edited form, right? I actually know the original um, They Made a Monkey Out of Me is in its original form, but it, it's back in print. Okay. It was out of print for a long time, and um, they've just put it back in print. So if you have been thinking about getting it but were uh, put off by the fact that the copies were selling for $100, $200, $500, now you can buy it on Amazon for like $20. Yeah, and also so there's a Kindle it. version as go well. Go get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So very cool. All right, well, we covered a lot of ground this episode, and um, as always, it's been a great time. And uh, thank you, uh, as always, for listening. And Melanie and Jeff, thank you for sitting down and uh, chatting this episode. It was awesome. Been awesome. All right. And we'll <laughs> see you next time. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for tuning in to tonight's Monkey's Color Cast. I'm your announcer, Ghosty Timmers. Now, back to the show. You know, the word oldies isn't a dirty word. Not in my book, anyway. Hey, this is Ghosty. How would you like to listen to a radio show that spins top hits, lost gems, and then some from the glorious years between 1955 and 1972? One that features interviews with the likes of Julie Newmar, John Sebastian, Al Jardine, Mickey Dolenz, Don Wells, David Cassidy, Angela Cartwright, Bill Medley, Ronnie Spector, Connie Stevens, and many more. Well, the Vintage Rockin' Pop Shop is on the air every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 89.1 WFDU-FM. That's in the uh, New York, New Jersey area. You can also listen to it live online by going to WFDU.FM. But there's an even easier way for you folks who aren't in the New York, New Jersey area and don't want to have to get up at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on a Sunday morning. You can listen to it anytime you want just by clicking the handy links over on our Facebook page. So go on to Facebook. You're probably already on Facebook. Look for the Vintage Rockin' Pop Shop. Like it, live it, love it. And thanks. Hi, Zilch fans. This is Melanie Mitchell. Be sure to check out my book, Monkey Magic, a book about a TV show about a band. It's a lighthearted review and companion for the TV show that made the 60s fun. The paperback is available online from Amazon or Barnes & Noble. 
and the ebook can be bought anywhere that fine ebooks are sold. Check out the Monkey Magic Facebook page, follow me on Tumblr at bluemoonalto.tumblr.com, and listen for my contributions here on Zilch, a monkey's podcast. And thank you for listening to the show today. And it's been wonderful, as always, being in the in the captain's chair for this episode, Craig. Uh, it's really cool to be here with you. And, uh, you know, we, we've been doing this for a long time now. So this is yeah. kind of does feel like home, just like Caitlin said, right? Oh, yeah, totally, totally. It's always great to sit down and, and talk with you uh, with you guys and, and uh, share our enjoyment of the monkeys. Yeah, and I can't wait to see more reviews pop up. The, you guys have been so kind to us over these couple of years. And, uh Looking forward to even more down the road. So that wraps up this episode of Zilch, and we'll see you another time. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fancy made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members, past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around. I'm Brett Velez. My new book, A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You, The Monkeys from a Fan's Perspective, chronicles my experiences with the monkeys from the 1960s into today, along with stories by other fans and how the monkeys touched our lives. A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You, The Monkeys from a Fan's Perspective by Fred Velez, available on Amazon.com, CreateSpace.com, Smashwords.com, Apple iBooks, Barnes & Noble Nook, and other print and ebook outlets. Is the red light on? Are we on? I don't know if we're on. I'm looking. I don't see. Are we on? I hope we are. Oh, lady!